says, don't be anxious. Um, the interesting thing is, and I sort of said this in the sermon, the interesting thing is, it's not because he expects you to sort of forget about all your troubles, but actually you have the capability to engage your troubles in real time. And that's partly what we've been talking about, is finding your spot. Now, this does make me nervous that I got two elders and then Dan Kovic sitting this close to me. Uh, <laughs> you two elders are going to protect me from the rest of the people back there. Will you, uh, will you take that and just take one and pass it back? I'll start one on the other side here. Uh, and then let's see, I'll start one right here in the middle, okay, Hopkins, why don't you take that? Um, there should be sign-in sheets coming around. Who has it on this side, anybody? Strutzel, yeah, hot potato. If you're looking for it, stop someplace. Uh, it's over there, who's got it on this side? Oh, it's here, okay. Have you guys all had it over here? I don't know how that happened, okay? I started it over here and it got, all right, well just make sure you sign in. Make sure you sign in. Uh, the church office is adamant about this. Also, uh, this will go to Russia. Um, we try to help Russia out a, a ton, as you know, but right now Russia needs a car. Um, cars are expensive. They obviously, We obviously can't collect all the money today, but if you can make a start, that'd be great. Um, so we'll pass that around. That goes to Russia, hopefully toward a car. We'll see what we can do. Okay, um, are there any questions from the last couple weeks? Obviously, I was, uh, I was not here, so you could ask me anything and I wouldn't know. Um, I was surprised. You want to hear one fun thing about Scotland? One fun story? You guys all know N.T. Wright, correct? N.T. we've read his book with the women, and he's this big-name theologian. Well, he left. He was the Anglican Bishop of Durham, and he left Durham to go teach at St. Andrews, where I'm doing a Ph.D. So I walk into my doctoral father's office the first day, knock on the door, Professor David Brown, I look to the right, and guess who's right next door? Professor N.T. Wright, right next door. Now, he wasn't in his office. I told Abby I was just going to go knock on the door, but um, that's a fun thing that only happens in places like that. Okay, any questions um, from last week or the last couple weeks? Don't know. Uh, Pastor Bruzik just said, I moved downstairs. Um, it was a good idea. People seemed to be comfortable. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to go back down there, you're, you can. Um, but how, how many of you would rather sit in a pew or have coffee? Yeah, see? Raise your hand if you want to sit in a pew next week. Yes, you are in a pew, Jeanette. Come on. <laughs> Barb, thank you very much. That's why we love having you here. Yeah. I am broadcasting upstairs, so if any of you really miss the pew, you can go sit upstairs and you'll get all this. Yeah, coffee, exactly, yeah. Um, no, why are we down here? Because um, I was told you met down here, so I just thought we'd come down again. I don't know. Yeah, next, next week, if you want to do something else, we can. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Let me know afterwards. Send me an email. Kindness is a virtue. Okay, any questions, though? Any biblical questions? Any theological questions from the last couple weeks? What did you talk about last week? I honestly, I honestly don't have all the data, so can you tell me? I, that's good, yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about him. What? I was going to clear everything up, yeah. That's usually how it goes. When they want to talk about you know, the office of the ministry, who does he give it to? And then he said, he did say, can you talk about the priesthood of all believers? So um, that'll be fun, too. Um, 
Any questions, though? No, really, no questions? You're all okay. That's stunning, and I don't think you're telling the truth, but I will put the best construction on it. So you should have a handout in front of you. Um, I know Pastor Bruzek, hey, John. I know Pastor Bruzek did talk about uh, the call and, so, and sort of giving you definitions to some terms that maybe are up for debate, like pastor, priest, priesthood, those sorts of things, um, servant, uh, power, authority. You remember, um, every word can be said two ways. And in some sense, we need to begin to read our words through the lens of Scripture. Um, on Wednesday, I started with the Joy Group, what I did with you about four weeks ago, which is to talk about the ministry. Now, it's always interesting to hear what happens. Because I started, and we probably got through, you remember on the ministry I gave you, I don't know, 12 or 13 pages. I think we got through a half a page, and already, you know, I, I hear rumblings that people are saying, well, he's proposing a model for the Constitution. I'm like, all we talked about was Adam, Old Testament priests, and Jesus. So we haven't proposed any model, um, but that's how, that's how stuff gets around. So we started with them, and I said, what would make a successful pastor? And they gave me any range of things. Almost all of them were identical to what you all gave me. And then one person raises their hand and says, very honestly, yeah, that's nice, but how could we ever expect to get someone like that? <laughs> so that is true. Um, and as I said, uh, in this life, you won't. Jesus is the only perfect pastor. And yet at the same time, and now this is a little more serious, at the same time, part of the reason they don't think they have it is because their definitions are all upside down. You know, their definitions are all, they're very different. The way they define love and compassion and truth and honesty are, necess are, are in some sense all in the way of the world. You know, love is to sort of give me what I want. If you think of your kids, my daughter, who's just old enough now to try to tweak me, what does she say? If you love me, you will? Yeah, well, guess what? People get sent to prison for saying that. If you love me, you will? Um, and same thing with compassion and honesty. Honesty only means tell me the truth if it's good for me or if I like it. It doesn't mean tell me the truth no matter what. So partly our definitions are a little upside down and we gotta work through that. We gotta read stuff through the lens of the biblical text. And that's why Pastor Bruzek, I know he did talk about authority and power. One is in the way of the law, it's force. Um, if you break into a house, that's power. The biblical word exousia, authority, is what Jesus says to his apostles. I give you authority to do these things. And that's a very different term, okay? Any other questions though? Okay, look at your sheet. Let's move on then. So we've talked about, so far, your spot for probably four weeks. Our spot is pastors. We clarified some of the terms while I was away. And this week, let's talk about maybe a more critical issue, which is the priesthood of all believers. Obviously, um, the priesthood of all believers is a very biblical concept, although I want to make one thing clear straight away. The priesthood of all believers, as you see there, does not equal every man a minister. And you had this sort of, you had two things happen um, you know, in the last 30 years in the Missouri Synod. Well, three things. One was you had the major split in the Missouri Synod, and those who were deemed, air quotes for people upstairs, conservative, stayed in the Missouri Synod, and those who were not conservative, quote unquote, um, left the Synod, by and large. But you had a couple other things happen. One was you had the emergence of um, a book called Every Man a Minister. And this book proposed that everyone was equal, both in the sight of God and in the sight of the church. So because everyone was a Christian, therefore everyone could function as a pastor. And that, that did some damage in some sense to the synod, but I think we've recovered from that. The other book you had published was um, 
uh, Lutheran substance evangelical style. And what that proposed was you could have Lutheran doctrine in contemporary worship, and it was all okay. And what they did is they separated um, form and function. And they didn't believe, the people who wrote this book, that how you pray actually confesses what you believe. So these three things happened. The split, every man a minister, and Lutheran, Lutheran substance, evangelical style, or evangelical style, Lutheran substance. And hopefully, we've recovered from all those. Although the priesthood of all believers is still a point, not of contention, because if I say contention, then you'll expect a fight. It's a point of discussion. Um, and first and foremost, as we've done with all the other ones, we need to go back to the biblical text. So look at your sheet there. You have a single appearance, so far as I can tell, um, of the priesthood of Christians, the baptized, all believers. And I put them in that order because I think that's actually a better way to talk about it. The priesthood of all believers isn't in the biblical text. And neither, frankly, is the priesthood of Christians or the priesthood of the baptized. But you do have a, a notion that the faithful Israel, and now the new Israel, the church, is a nation of holy priests. So 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, there you go. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And you know, uh, when the scriptures talk about something being built on the foundation, what's the foundation? On the foundation of the, the apostles and the prophets. You have to read that into this text. So whenever you're building something, it's not on the foundation of the church, it's on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's not a physical house, it's a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Every good sacrifice comes through a mediator, and the ultimate mediator is Jesus. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. So the first thing you know about yourselves is what? Not that you're priests, but you are chosen. You're baptized. You've been elected. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay? Now, from that verse, you get all sorts of interpretations, usually interpretations that don't look back at the text. So we want to look at the text. What are some of the interpretations you get from that verse? How does that play out in real time in the church? Sorry about that. Keep it down in there. How does that play out in the church? This is easy. Come on. If you're a Christian, you're all equal. Yeah. I wish we had a marker. That would make us all equal. One. Let's hope it works. So if you're a Christian, all equal. Okay. And you know, if you play that, out, play that out in terms of your family, that'd be like saying, in your family, everyone's equal. You know that's not the case, because what happens? If everyone in your family is equal, chaos, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The kids, you know, revolt. They all, they all have a vote, and they say, we want to go to Disney World, and you say, we don't have the cash. If everyone was equal and everyone had a vote, what would happen? You'd go to Disney World, <laughs> right? What else? Yes. Okay, I come from a tradition where this is a central organizing Yes. Principle. Yes, very much so. Yep. 
that would be um, that would be the Lutheran way of talking about it too. So dignity and respect, and yet, um, uh, let's see, and yet, say that, say what you said at the very end. Good, and this gets back all the way to the order of creation. So Adam and Eve are equal in dignity and respect. It doesn't mean man is more dignified or, or to be more respected than a woman, but it does mean it does mean there are differences in function and how they operate, and there is an order. It's not like they're all equal and one does this and one does that. There's actually a, it's a vertical order in creation. So dignity and respect is equal, and yet um, there is distinction In function, or in uh, a, a Lutheran way of saying it would be in vocation. Okay, so you know you might be an accountant. I'm not an accountant. You might be a nurse. I'm not a nurse. And what would happen if I walked into your place and did what you do? Bad. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, all I know. Well, yeah. I was gonna make a joke about gold, but then I'd offend Strutzel. So. <laughs> uh, all I know about gold is it's been moving in this direction. I don't know anything else about it, but it's like this. So, okay, that doesn't mean I'm an accountant. Um, I know about medication. My mom's a nurse. But I, if I walked into a hospital room and put an IV in, what would happen? They'd take me out in handcuffs. <laughs> I mean, think about it. So we're equal in dignity and respect, but there is a distinction in function or vocation. Why? If everyone is equal here, what ensues? Chaos. And you remember, the very first thing the Lord does in Eden is he orders the chaos. So you're right. We can have uh, no distinction in function or vocation. But what would happen is we'd return to pre-Eden. Today's sermon was all about going back to Eden. You don't want to go post-Eden. That's where we are now. You don't want to go pre-Eden because everything's chaos. So where you want to be is in Eden. And there everything is ordered. Everything is dignity, everything is respect, everything is distinction. And you have to see all three of these as gospel words. Okay? These are easy to see. Everybody has dignity, everybody should be respected. Yeah, that's a very nice thing, and it should be. And this is, I'm going very fast now. But this is part of the reason why I get so bent by pastors who just bang on homosexuality over and over again. Homosexuality is an easy target, but guess what? It very quickly loses dignity and respect for the person. Okay? Dignity and respect, these are very good gospel words. We have to see distinction in function or vocation as a gospel word as well. Christ sets up the church to operate in a specific way. And if we fall out of alignment, this is why Johansson's thing about reconciliation and alignment has been so helpful. If we fall out of alignment, what, le what happens is, Chaos ensues, and chaos is pre-Eden. We can't go back to before Eden. Okay? Anything else ensue from all this? You could, and we need that's why we need to parse this a bit, but you could infer that you're a priest, um, and that would sort of blur the distinction in function or vocation. Okay? Anything else? Chip, this coffee is great. Thank you. I know. So let's parse that a bit. What's the job of the priesthood of all believers? Two tasks, and, and possibly more, but two specifically. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, 
Uh, two things should jump out at you there. One is spiritual. The other is sacrifices. Lutherans are not very good at talking about sacrifices, are they? In fact, if you hear sacrifice, what do you think of? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. So you went further back than I did. Old Testament, burning animals. You are. You're not older. No. Burning animals. Yeah, what else do you think of? Fasting. Yes, good. Uh, the good Catholic target, right? Catholics, works, they sacrifice. That's not right. Interesting here, it says, make spiritual sacrifices. So two things are interesting. One, it says spiritual. What does that mean? And sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, which means there are some sacrifices which are what? Not acceptable. There are some sacrifices that are not acceptable. And who is the objective standard by which you judge whether or not a sacrifice is acceptable or not? Christ, his word, and the church. Okay? You can make sacrifices in your own life, but sometimes they're not the sacrifices the Lord wants. So what are the sacrifices Jesus wants from us? He'll explain. And the second task, then, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that, you know, well, the baptism at 1115, that language is right out of the baptismal liturgy. That we may, how does it go? Do you have the service there? Give me the 1115. You are a good man. Right there. Oh, look at that. All prepped and ready to go. It says here, yeah, right after the kid's been baptized, he's made you a member of his son, an heir with us of all the treasures. We receive you in Jesus' name as our sister in Christ, that together we might hear his word, receive his gifts, and proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the Lutheran model is, first you receive, and then you proclaim. And specifically receive word and sacrament. Okay? This is the Lutheran way. So, what is not given to the priesthood of all believers? Let's just get it out on the table. The Eucharist is not a spiritual sacrifice. So you'll often hear it said, we're all equal, we all have the same vocation because we're all priests, therefore, what you pastor do on Sunday, I can rightfully do as well. The Eucharist is not a spiritual sacrifice. Yes? Okay, Paul says, remember I mentioned earlier the times of David. Yeah. I'm, I'm adding that those that the priesthood yep. is the chosen race. That's right. A holy nation. Mm-hmm. That is the church as a whole. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, it is... Uh, fundamentally the corporate church, it is secondarily every member who composes that. Because St. Paul, you remember, does talk about, you're the big toe, I'm the jawbone, she's the head. Well, no, she wouldn't be the head. Jesus is the head. <laughs> you like the head, okay? Yeah, but you are right. So corporately, our identity is a chosen nation. Israel was nothing in and of themselves as individual people. They were something when the Lord called the nation. He didn't say, you five people who live in Egypt, I'm going to bring you out of exile. He said, the whole nation comes or nobody comes. So good point. The point is, it's a corporate identity first. It's not about Joe Holm. It's not about Michael Hopkins. It's about the church. And I would say this, it's not even about St. John Wheaton. It's not even about the Missouri Synod. It's not even about the Missouri Synod. <laughs> it's about the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church that existed since Eden and exists until now, and will exist until the end of time. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. Christ, and that's what I said in the Bible study from a few weeks ago. Christ is the priest par excellence, and in order to function in the world, he puts people to stand in his stead, but there is no other priest. He is the priest, and people talk for him. Okay? Now, the Eucharist, therefore, is not a spiritual sacrifice, partly because spiritual implies what? What does spiritual imply? Do, that, do you think, when you hear spiritual, do you think tangible? No, not visible. Exactly right. And if you know anything about Latin or Greek or the use of sacrament in the Bible, sacrament in the Bible is always tangible. The Latin word is sacramentum, which has, it can be handled, it can be touched. Okay? It takes on, it takes on a form. It has matter. So, first of all, a spiritual sacrifice. Nobody can say, I'm, a priesthood of, I'm part of the priesthood of all believers, therefore, if pastor doesn't show up, I can stand at the altar and preside. It's not been given for you to do. The Eucharist is not a spiritual sacrifice. Now, the second one, proclaim, does not equal preach. You remember in the scriptures, and I gave this to you probably three weeks ago, in the scriptures, there's a distinction between public and private. Or as I gave it to you, churching the church, and then this wouldn't be private, it'd be more world, churching the world. My job is to church the church. Your job is to church the world. And so even in the scriptures, you have this distinction between proclaiming, which can take on a verbal character. You talk about your faith. It can take on um, an active character. You help the needy. You do acts of mercy. Um, it's sometimes your best proclamation involves no words at all. St. Francis of Assisi, right? You know, preach a sermon, proclaim the message, and if necessary, use words. And the Greek word here is ex angelo, which is the same word used for the angels. Okay? The angels come bearing good news, but they're not pastors. Why? They don't have flesh. Okay? So, the Eucharist is not a spiritual sacrifice. Why? The Eucharist is always tangible. And proclaim does not equal preach. When St. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word publicly, he uses the word keruso, or oftentimes it's used kerygma. Here, it's be an angel. Be an angel. Okay? So what do we know so far? What we know so far is everybody is dignified. Everybody should be respected. There is distinction in function, and there is distinction in vocation. Therefore, I can't in good conscience do what you do, and you can't in good conscience do what I do. Okay? And I think Pastor Bruzik may have used this, this imagery before, but it's like saying I have a driver's license, therefore I can get in the taxi cab and sit up front. You can't drive the taxi, right? You may have a driver's license, but you can't drive the taxi. I know, may know a little about math. I was a math major. But I'm not going to go work for Strutzel or Yonker. I wonder who would be easier to work for, Strutzel or Yonker? Who gives, who gives uh, like bonuses at the end of the year? <laughs> yeah. Strutzel's had a harder year financially. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, let's move. Yes. Exactly right. So good. So you don't have a church without a pastor. You also don't have a church without people. Open up and there are all the people, right? <laughs> so exactly right. 
It's, this is why Luther says there are givers and there are receivers. If they're only givers, boom, it's defective. If they're only receivers, boom, it's defective. Okay? Yes? Uh, what is? That gets a little off topic, but I'm happy to engage it. Uh, why do some churches teach us to sacrifice? Well, yeah, partly um, you're too Lutheran for the discussion. Okay? I know. I know it scares you. Partly because you see sacrifice as being a work. Um, it was interesting. Where's your bulletin, Vic? Thank you. It's good you're sitting right there. In the hymn of the day, I was struck. I was struck, verse 3, verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4, but it was the third verse we, saw, we, we sang. Here on earth, both victim and priest in the Eucharistic feast. If there's a victim, it means it's a sacrifice. Okay? So partly, you're too Lutheran to ask the question because what you instantly think is sacrifice means good work. Um, the, the confessions are very clear. Jesus always appears before the face of the Father, bearing in his hands, his feet, and his sides his sacred wounds. That's why, lo, he comes with clouds descending is such a great hymn. Gaze we on those glorious scars. Jesus never ceases to be a sacrifice, and when he comes to the altar today, he still comes with his sacrificial self. Now, that doesn't mean that I sacrifice Jesus or you sacrifice Jesus. It means Jesus comes as sacrifice, not beyond sacrifice. Yeah, again, I think you, need to have, you and I need to have about three beers and talk about that. Right now it's, let's see, about 5 p.m. I would be drinking a pint at Westport Bar right now if I was in Scotland, okay? But we need to talk about that at some point. Probably this isn't the time, but don't let sacrifice scare you because Luther was not opposed to talking that way either, so long as the sacrifice was God's verb and not ours, okay? So, other questions, you all Okay. It's hot down here. This is a bad idea. Let's blame it on Bruzek. Bad idea. Maybe we should just dress appropriately. Dress in layers so you can take something off, okay? So what is given to the priesthood of all believers? Now, this is important because I think what happens is we focus all of our attention on what's not given to us. We get upset. We get bent out of shape. And we never talk about what is given to us. There's a ton in this text. In fact, I would say to you, there's more in this text about being a priest than there is for me about being a pastor. What I know about being a pastor is the Lord laid hands on me. He tells me to preach, teach, give out the Eucharist, and to manage his church in such a way that he is glorified. That's what I know. The rest of it, he says, figure out on your own. Here, he gives you, you know, nine or ten verses on what to do. What is he doing over there? Is that Nelson in there? Having fun. Okay. Watching movies. All for spiritual sacrifices. <laughs> what are the spiritual sacrifices? Keep reading. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's the corporate nature, you're Israel, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And that doesn't mean don't cheat on your spouse. That's everything. You know, don't use your flesh in a way that dishonors God. And we often go right to sexual sins. It's not only that. You know what I mean? If you show up to work late, you're not using your flesh the way God is intended to be used. 
Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There's a battle. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I was struck today in the epistle where St. Paul says, we're the scum of the world. Well, guess what? Even scum needs to do good work so other people can see it and glorify their Father in heaven. That's why the confessions say good works are necessary. Be subject. Isn't this interesting? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And St. Peter will go on later and describe this. If you're a citizen, be subject to the government. If you're a child, be subject to your parents. If you're a parishioner, be subject to your pastor. And we'll read this in the fourth commandment. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So if you just want to have a verbal argument, it's not going to work. How do you silence evildoers? Get to work. And this is a common misconception. Oftentimes when people are upset in the church, our reaction is not to say, let's sit down and talk with them. Our, our reaction is to say, let's get to work. Why? That's what St. Peter says. Doing good actually silences your mouth. Live as people who are free. Now this is interesting. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is, this is amazing to me because this is oftentimes the sin of Lutherans. I can do whatever I want. I can talk about people however I want. I can sin however I want. Why? Because Jesus forgives me. It's like people will say, I'll sin and I'll ask for forgiveness later. Guess what? If you sin and ask for forgiveness later, you're not going to be forgiven. Okay? You can't sin. This is, this is what the Catholics call mortal sin. And actually, it's in the Bible. There are some sins which leads to death, and there are some which don't. So, as St. Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't say, just because I'm forgiven, I can do whatever the heck I want. But living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, that's the church, fear God, honor the emperor, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. If you don't like your master, you still have to be nice to him. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is, this is uh, the Beatitudes. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God because you're active. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is amazing. Even in Jesus' weakest moment, he trusts himself to the one who judges justly. Why? Because if you screw Jesus, the Father will sort it all out. And if you are tweaked by the world or by the church, the Father will sort it all out. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, Isaiah. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
And in doing these things, as I say there, we proclaim a gospel message, a message like the angels, ex angelo, angels. We proclaim a message like the angels to the entire world. What is it that the angels proclaim when Jesus is born? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Okay? Now, some fun Lutheran facts, and then I'll take any question you got. The phrase, priesthood of all believers, appears nowhere in Luther or the Lutheran confessions. Likewise, it appears nowhere in Holy Scripture. Never does it say priesthood of all believers. It says you're you're a race, you're a holy priesthood, but that phraseology, priesthood of all believers, is never in Scripture. Who invented the phrase? Philip Jakob Spener, the 18th century German theologian. Now, if you don't know that name, you should. Why? He is always referred to as the father of pietism. The father of pietism. He wrote a book called Pia Desideri, Pious Desires. And he basically overthrows the Lutheran doctrine of justification and grace. And in return, he implements all all this new terminology for the church. One term is the priesthood of all believers. So we can use it, but then we are pietists. No matter what Luther may have said during a weak moment, this confessional fact remains, and it is confessional because it's the large catechism. And therefore, it is constitutive for what we believe as Lutherans. We must, therefore, impress it upon the young that they should regard their parents as in God's stead and remember that however lowly, poor, frail they may be, nevertheless, they are father and mother given them by God. They are not to be deprived of their honor because of their conduct or their failings. They'll screw up. Therefore, we are not to regard their persons, how they may be, but the will of God who has thus created and ordained. In other respects, we are indeed all alike in the eyes of God, priesthood of all believers. But among us, there must necessarily be such inequality. You notice he didn't say distinction, inequality and order difference. And therefore, God commands it to be observed that you obey me as your father and that I have the supremacy. Isn't that stunning that Luther says that in the large catechism? God commands that there is inequality and ordered difference, and as he says to his people, that you obey him as his father and that he has the supremacy. And from a gentler spirit, Nagel, there are only priests if there are also those who are not priests. If everyone is a priest, no one is a priest. Universal priesthood is then a self-contradictory term. And you saw it in the bulletin, and I should have put it on the sheet. This is from Chad Bird, who spoke here a couple years ago, one of the preeminent Old Testament scholars in the Missouri Synod. He writes, for the comfort, assurance, and welfare of his church, Christ maintained the uncompromising division between those baptized into the royal priesthood, 1 Peter, and those called and ordained into the priestly ministry. This is not a barrier of the law, but a blessing of the gospel. For the saints of Christ must know whose mouth and whose hands the great high priest has sanctified to bestow his gifts. This is the most important part. The Old Testament, the Old Testament anathema against everyone a minister remains in force. The Old Testament anathema against everyone a minister remains in force. Remember in the Old Testament, if you claimed to be a prophet and then you told the prophecy and it wasn't true, what did they do? Stoned you. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, it did not go well. And same thing, even little things, like they said, if you're not a priest and you try to mix the incense, you're going to die. You know, all these things in the Old Testament where, I mean, you want to talk about strict. It was rigid. Oh, that was not good. It was rigid. I just spit on you. It was rigid. Not used to this environment. i got to relocate myself. It was rigid, much more rigid than it is in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, it is, as we talked about weeks ago, it's always Christ first, then his apostles, then his pastors, and then the church. But within this, this is the, this is the uh, you know, public function. As Christians, all these people are equal. That's why St. Augustine has a great line where he says, for you I am bishop, with you I am Christian. No distinction in being Christian, but there is a distinction in the office in which Christ puts people in real life, in real time, to carry out his mission. Okay? Got all that shield? Okay, good. We got about five minutes. Do you have questions? Yes. Yeah, sure. Exactly. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah, there's no goodness in me and there's no goodness in you. But if we both operate in our proper functions, there'll be goodness in the church. Because Christ will do what he wants to do. So here's the thing. I mean, I often say this to, to vicars before they start preaching. I often say, you can't add anything to Christ, but you can, you can be a deflection. I mean, in preaching, if you think about that especially, you can't add anything to the gospel. But if you preach a bad sermon, you actually can't take something away. It, it's hard for people to hear. Same thing in the church. We can't add anything to Jesus, you, me, us, corporately. But if we don't function properly, we can actually deflect his mission. And that's a, that's a tough thing to swallow. Because we're not, believe me, Jesus does not work like we're puppets. He doesn't just sort of maneuver his church and do what he wants regardless of how people act. If people aren't lined up properly, he can't get his job done. He actually uses us, the means of grace. We sang it in the last hymn. We praise you for the means of grace. We actually need to believe that then. Yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, so. yeah, so far as I can tell, I think Pastor Bruzek gave that out last time. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Both are the same. They give you sort of practical advice. It's interesting that, um, let me say this, you would expect something like that from St. Paul. I think it's stunning that it's Peter who says this. Peter, who is the chief apostle, apostle could come and say, and here's how the church functions together as royal priests. So there's something to that. It's very significant that this is the text Peter uses. Okay? Yes? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Sacrifice is not giving something up for Lent. That's not a living sacrifice. Sacrifice actually has a positive connotation, which is you do something good for someone else or for the corporate church. It actually has a, it's active, it's not passive. It's not negative, it's positive. Always has a purpose. Purposeless sacrifice is no sacrifice at all. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. I think Pastor Bruzek maybe touched on that before, so far as I can tell. But you are right. It's not just, you shouldn't think this is just about education, but it's also about a calling. And, uh, and contrary to what even some Lutherans believe, the calling to the ministry is a divine call. This is why Augsburg Confession 14 says, no one should publicly preach or teach. You know, it doesn't say no one shouldn't proclaim the gospel message. But it says no one should publicly preach or teach, Russo, the word given to Timothy, unless he has a proper call, rite vocatus in the Latin, which is bigger than being baptized. There's baptism, and then there are other calls to other walks of life. Because all of you would say, you have a calling to be a father, you have a calling to be a husband, you have a calling to go to work every day. So do I. And those callings don't always, I'm not husband to your wife, you're not husband to my wife, we both have our own callings there, and we need to function properly within those callings. <coughs> Well, you would, you would, you, this is why the liturgy is helpful. The liturgy is your guide to whether or not it's public or private. So a Bible study at your house, if we all go to the high dorms, I don't expect if I show up, you're going to look at me and say, okay, we're all going to sit here and you start talking. I would hope you all would have something to say too. But on Sunday morning, in the corporate liturgy, we all have our roles. And then the roles are a bit different. My job is to be up front. Your job is to be a receiver. So... Um, you know, this is, this is why sometimes you can stretch the where two or three are gathered together a bit too far. What you have at your house when you have a little sherry and you talk about the Bible, that's not a worship service. There's no invocation. There's no confession. There's no absolution. There's no Eucharist. There's none of that. What happens in Lutheran circles is oftentimes they try to incorporate those things and then the lines get blurred. I told the Joy Group, the Texas District of the Missouri Synod decided they were going to pass out DVDs so home share groups could put in a DVD a pastor would be on there, he'd speak the words of institution, they'd all sit there, have bread and wine out, and give it out and have a Eucharist. You can't do that. Jesus isn't a disembodied presence. And also, it's not been given for your home to be the sanctuary. You have a sanctuary to go to. This isn't the early church. So that's stuff we got to work through. We are beyond the time we have a baptism. So I'm very sorry. Next week, since you all made it very clear, we'll go upstairs, okay? Uh, but... Okay, you like the coffee. We'll stay down here. I don't know what we'll do. I'm going to pray about it this week, okay? Wear some, wear, don't wear a sweater down here, and uh, we'll put some ice water out, okay? We'll figure it out. I don't know what we're going to do. Thank you for coming. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks so much, guys.